Hi, this is Damien from New City, Orlando. You're listening to our CBR Bible Project series, where each episode we introduce a different book of the Bible as it coincides with CBR. To learn more about community Bible reading or CBR, visit newcityorlando.com forward slash CBR. All right, gentlemen, today we're here to talk about Ruth, and we're going to have a conversation about Ruth. We've just read Ruth together in community Bible reading. So I'm here with Nate, and I'm here with Josh. It's good to be with you guys. It's good to be here. Good to be here. So Ruth is this tiny, in terms of size, book in the Old Testament, right after Judges. And uh, looking at it right now, we have four chapters. I believe that's correct. It is. Mm-hmm. Coming up next is First and Second Samuel. So now we've placed it in the book itself, but let's talk about it. Uh, what was it like for you guys to come to Ruth now in community Bible reading? I want to talk about some things that stuck out and just have a conversation. Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, Ruth just strikes you as this, uh, this very well-written, well-crafted um, book, and uh, the, the narrative pace is, is really kind of draws you in. Um, and uh, the, th- the big themes that, that strike me throughout the entire book, one would be God's just providence, his providence in, in bringing seemingly uh, difficult, well, very difficult, and then seemingly ordinary circumstances together to weave his plan of salvation. You have um, two characters, uh, the main characters that we follow after the, the beginning of the book when um, Ruth and Naomi end up going back to Israel together and then uh, they run into Boaz and th- those it kind of um, centralizes around those three characters and then um, how the circumstances of, of Ruth's needs and Naomi's needs end up getting met and sort of providentially woven together through Boaz and then out of that we have um, what proceeds to come in, in, in the lineage of Jesus. So God's providence is really at work in, in how these circumstances get woven together. And um, that's something that really struck me. It's just ordinary things like, okay, we need food, so we're going to go to this grain field and get food. And, and then we happen to meet this guy named Boaz. And then Boaz happens to be this really, really close relative of Naomi's. And so then you get this whole kinsman redeemer thing happening with Boaz through these very seemingly ordinary circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, it's a good overview thematically and it's a good idea. I think when we're reading these books in the old Testament to ask ourselves, why are they in here? And I think we'll get to some of the maybe deeper reasons or, or other reasons as well. When we talk about the genealogy, which is interesting Mm -hmm. because most of us skim over genealogies, We'll, we'll get to that. But these are really, really powerful realities that you're speaking to. Yeah. So I think that you've already given us an idea as to why it belongs. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't, in, in, in the book specifically as well, you, do, you don't see like some prophet coming along and giving a, a very direct like word from God. In fact, God's only mentioned, I think, maybe once or, or twice in the entirety of the book. And so you you but you get the idea that God is behind all of these things that are happening mm-hmm. uh, because of the way that they happen. Uh, it's not happenstance. It's, it's not an accident. It's very clear that God is, is the one behind all of these things. Yeah. So, yeah. Certainly he's not coming in in some spectacular some way, very direct, extraordinarily. He's, he's present in the faithfulness of his people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, and I think that one of the pictures that's beautiful 
is the upstanding righteousness of Boaz, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I was really moved in chapter two, verse eight says, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So he says that starting in verse eight, if you go over to the end of the chapter, now in Naomi speaking, starting in verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And she goes on, so now she's described him. And in verse 22, she says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Mm. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So this reality of, of a man who views it as his job mm. to protect this vulnerable woman and provide. to provide for her and then also to think to protect her and yeah. then it's it's reiterated at the end of the same chapter from Naomi's perspective mm. uh, lest Ruth miss it or lest we miss it so I, I was really moved by that by that yeah. section yeah and I, I think that's a that's a really really good um, thing to point out because it's very relevant for us too. yeah I was gonna say so. I mean we're jumping the gun in a sense I mean yeah. we're really trying to just have a conversation but yeah but how, how might we imagine the way that righteousness looks in the area of vulnerability and protecting women and those who are vulnerable in our culture? I mean, do you guys have any thoughts? I just, I was struck by just reading through it. I did a little extra side reading as we read through it and read a, a short little commentary um, written by an uh, author named Carolyn James. Mm-hmm. And it was just so helpful to bring in a female perspective on some of these realities. Like even, Mm -hmm. even the thing you just read, like um, I totally get the idea now of, okay, Ruth is a foreigner. She's a widow. She's kind of out on her own. She's scavenging in this field. And then, but what Naomi says is she kept, you know, go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. It's like, that would never even cross my mind. Like Mm -hmm. I'm 6'2", 250. If I'm going Mm -hmm. out in the middle of the night or even in the middle of the day, like I'm not really worried about someone assaulting me. Yeah. Right. They're just not on my radar. Like, not to say it can't happen, but it's, it's not a reality that I'm wrestling with. But this is, if we think about Ruth and Naomi having migrated here, they couldn't just go get jobs. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're at the mercy of the kindness of strangers. And in this case, it turns out to be Boaz. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even beyond that, it, just in the verse you read in verse eight, when Boaz is talking to Ruth, it really relays Boaz is the guy that owns the field. And then he has people working for him, gleaning the field. And then he has people like Ruth who are at a lower status level than those workers. And mm-hmm. so it kind of exposes you to this idea that the people working for Boaz may feel free to abuse mm-hmm. these scavengers in the field, but he mm-hmm. has to go out of his way to instruct them and be like, no, you don't touch her. Yeah. You let her do her thing. You don't, you know, if, if you do something to harm her, you're not going to be able to work for me anymore as this is implied in right. here. Um, and right. if he didn't say that, they would have felt free to, oh, you know, we can take advantage of this, this woman. Um, one of the things that author pointed out that 
um, we don't really read in here, I don't think. Actually, we do at one point. It's in, uh, in chapter 3 when Ruth gets all prettied up to go mm-hmm. see Boaz at the threshing floor. Mm-hmm. One of the implications is, if we go back in Genesis, um, the story of Tamar, she has to take off her widow's clothing when she's posing as the prostitute, uh, the temple prostitute that Judah ends up sleeping with. Um, but it's this implication of widows would have had to wear certain types of clothing to mark them out as widows. So she's mm-hmm. a foreigner, which might be noticeable, but she's definitely noticeable as a widow mm-hmm. in the way mm-hmm. she's dressed. So it immediately alerts she's in this field gleaning. If she's wearing this special clothing, people working in the field could know, well, I could do anything that I want to this woman. And there's no man who's going to come reckon. There's no husband. There's no, you know, she's clearly older, so she's not yeah. someone's daughter. Yeah. It's yeah. so all the more need for protection. Right. She's in as instance, vulnerable in that situation as you can be. be. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's really important for us to think about how we look at, I mean, do we have eyes to see our neighbors that way? Those mm-hmm. people who are in need looking for their specific vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, because essentially he did provide, but but he gave her lots of agency. And, and what he did is he made sure that she wasn't oppressed in a way that would keep her from what she needed. And so c- certainly he showed generosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the things that struck me uh, by having them leave out extra. So leaving things behind and they're gleaning. I think that that's, that's true. But, but uh, I don't know how big these fields would have been. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't look, really looked into that. Uh, what was the average field side? I, I, I doubt it's you know, some huge, ginormous Minnesota soybean field <laughs> or something like that mm-hmm. where it's acres and acres. But nevertheless, however, I, I noticed that she stays all day, right? Especially the first day. She, she's there for quite some time gathering it up. Um, it, the text notes that I believe. And so yeah. I, I, I remember thinking either she has so much to gather and, and or, and, or, uh, she's, uh, she, well, the bottom line is she's busy all day long and she brings all of this back. So there's this provision, but there's this agency and, and allowing her to do it and making sure that no one else hinders her from doing it. I mm-hmm. think that there are matters of justice there and mercy for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's a powerful I never, ever had seen these things in this way uh, until, until reading. I'm not quite sure why mm-hmm. uh, I saw it this time, but it, it's very moving. I feel like Ruth is, is a good illustration of really all of Scripture in that, like you noted earlier, it's, it's four short chapters. It's very fast-paced. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it's so thick. I, I was <laughs> so familiar with Ruth before I went to seminary, but even it's, I think it's fairly typical in most Hebrew classes, they pick that out as one of the books that you analyze. And so it's kind of your first mm-hmm. intro into Hebrew narrative and there's all these things. And so it's like, you would think if I took a whole Hebrew class on Ruth, that that would just be the end of it. And it's like, well, there's not really yeah. anything else to see here, Right. but it's still, every time I come back to it, there's something else that sticks out, whether it's because I've read more in other places I see more connections with other parts of scripture mm, right. where there's just little turns of the phrase that um, like a short example that you don't really notice until you pause on it. And you, it was one you already read uh, in chapter two, verse 19. Is it 19? Uh, it's verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's ambiguity there. Whose kindness is it? Is it mm. the Lord's or Boaz? 
And it's intentionally ambiguous because the answer is yes. Yeah, that's it, right. It is the Lord's kindness, but it's being displayed through Boaz. And he's representing God to them in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you could, you, you could go on about uh, the typology in here. That's just so incredibly um, well woven throughout, like the Boaz being the kinsman redeemer. Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Um, Boaz doing doing things that th- that Adam should have done, so in a, in a way, sort of fulfilling that that creation mandate by providing, by having, uh, by cultivating the earth, having all of these fields available um, for people to just come, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, a type of Christ in in how he uh, pursues and how he protects. Um, yeah. So there's just so much in this book, and even though it's just four chapters, I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's so much to talk about. Yeah. And, and again, I noticed uh, the value that it gives Ruth. So you you can imagine that she's a valuable woman in terms of being a woman. We've already talked about that. Yeah. Um, worthy of dignity and protection. Mm-hmm. In eleven, right? This is after they're having this conversation at the threshing floor. I mean, uh, he wakes up and says. Uh, who's there? You know, that would, <laughs> yeah. be, that would be freaky, but they have this conversation in verse 11. He says, and now my daughter, this is chapter three, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. And so that, that word worthy is, is the same word used of uh, in chapter two, verse one, where it says a worthy man. Uh, whose name was Boaz, mm-hmm. right? And so that that idea of worthy, literally of worth or excellence, connotes character, wealth, position, or strength. And mm-hmm. and we know that for Boaz, it's a lot of those things. He has mm-hmm. he has a position in the city as a man who's well respected. He has wealth, he has land, and all of these things. But what does she have? She it must be her character, the, yeah. her commitment to her mother in law, yeah. her commitment to Yahweh. Right? She says, mm-hmm. "Your God is my God," and her faithfulness. And yeah. I think that to me, in that one word, it brings about a depth to her that that we've already seen highlighted in her actions, but it's recognized by all the townsmen. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. It is, yeah. And and what's interesting is. <clears throat> to throw back, if this is a great opportunity to mention the Hebrew canon, because Ruth comes um, on the hinges of Proverbs. And so you've just read yeah, in Proverbs right. 31 good. Good. about the woman who has all this virtue <laughs> and all this worth and value, and it's known by everyone. And so then you get right here in, uh, in Ruth, you get that description of of her, of Ruth. Yeah. And as so, they say, Josh, that dog will hunt. That dog will hunt. Yeah. That do- that, <laughs> that'll that dog preach. Will That's right. Um, and uh, in, in terms of what you were saying about <clears throat> the connections between the two of them and their mm. description and, and worth, there's an interesting throwback sort of to, uh, to Adam as well. In the garden, we see, uh, we see Adam put to sleep, right? And then Eve is, is made out of his, his rib. And then he wakes up and she is brought to him. And he says, finally, a helper suitable. And so it's as if he, he sees this and there's this match. And so kind of drawing a bit of a parallel, you can see a little bit of the same thing going on with the description of Boaz. And then he's put to sleep, right? And uh, Ruth comes, he's like, who is this? And gives her that same description. So it's as if he sees 
the the woman that has been brought to him by God, and mm. there's this there's this helper that's finally suitable for him. Yeah, a match that's that's good for him. Yeah, that's good. So. That's really good. So I want to go back just one second. We we skipped over, it and I realized that uh, we're having a conversation, and I, and I know what you mean, but. Either one of you speak to Josh's point of the Hebrew Bible that Ruth would come right after Proverbs. So, That's good. Nate, do you want to say anything about that? Just, yeah. just for people who are like, wait a minute, hold on a second, what? Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, we organize all of our books in the Old Testament by genre. And so we put all the history books together, we put all the poetry together, we put all the prophecy together, and that's kind of your main sections. Yeah. And so since Ruth is historical narrative, we lump it in both where it goes genre-wise with the history, but also kind of where it goes chronologically. So Ruth takes place Mm -hmm. in the time of the judges, and that's Mm -hmm. you get that right in the very first verse. And so we we could put it before judges if we wanted to, but it it really, if you you want to think of it, there's a really significant reason it's at the end of judges and not at the beginning of judges right after Joshua, Mm -hmm. is judges, which we just read in CBR, ends with this kind of horrific story unfolding Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night with a woman alone with a group of men. Yeah. And if you look at the time scale, this is taking place at roughly the same time as that end of Judges, just in a different, <clears throat> different locale. Yeah. And so it's showing the contrast of it. in certain areas in Israel, people were doing whatever pleased them and doing what was right in their own eyes. And it led to Israel being more or less like Sodom and Gomorrah. But at the same time, this is going on and Boaz is kind of this contrast to the yeah. men in, in that tribe in... Uh, the sec forget the city that we're in, but at the end of judges, that's really good. That's helpful. And I think that it could be another thing to pay. It is another thing to pay attention to. In other words, it is a really big deal that this is happening. Where are they? Where, where are they? Where are they going in, back to? They're in Bethlehem. That's right. Yeah. They're in Bethlehem. And the fear is that <laughs> she'll go to another field and be assaulted, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. If you've just read the end of Judges, you're yes. like, that's not really a far-fetched that's right. possibility. You're not yeah. surprised. And you, and you see it as a, not a, you see it as a, a relatively scary place to live where people will take advantage of you because they'll, they're being selfish. They'll do what they do in their own eyes, which again is, mm-hmm. is such remarkable contrast to Boaz. And to Josh, your point, there mm-hmm. is a sort of type going on here in the sense that there's a faithful one in yeah. the midst of all the unfaithful ones, maybe. Yeah. And what was the translation for Bethlehem? House of bread, house of bread, house of- which is another interesting uh, take on where where they return to, right? Because of because of them leaving, uh, in, leaving Israel in the first place to go to Moab because there's a famine, and then they return to Bethlehem where the name is house of bread. So it, it becomes a house of bread again. Of bread by the, again. End. Yeah. The, the amount of food that's continually given to Ruth from Boaz is yeah. a feature of the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. That's good. One of the things that, that's struck me, and I don't, I don't know why I didn't notice it this way before, but there's a real sense in which Naomi is a female Job mm. with all the same kind of beginning and endings of the Job story, mm-hmm. but with a female version of it. Yeah. Um, and if we didn't have... I mean, if this book didn't have a name at the top of it, I don't know. I feel like we would read it rather differently because it's kind of seems as if Naomi is the main character. Yeah, she might the call one it Naomi. Ex- <laughs> she experiences all the loss at the beginning. She's yeah. the one who gets 
the blessing at the end. Ruth, however, is in a sense a Christ figure towards Naomi. She attaches herself to Naomi and is the means by which Naomi is ultimately delivered from the oppression that she would have otherwise faced. But at the same time, Ruth is only able to do that because of Boaz's relation to Ruth. But I mean, if we just think about the way the story could have unfolded, Orpah in chapter one, verse four, the other daughter-in-law chooses to just go back home. And I think sometimes we mistakenly read that as a bad choice on her part, but it was really the obvious safest choice Mm -hmm. is to just go back to stay in Moab, go back to your family. They'll Mm -hmm. find someone else to marry you off to. What odds does a, um, someone like Ruth have of being married, going back into another country. Um, and we can even take a step back further if we, if we really want to think about um, the world of the story of, so Elimelech in verse one and takes his wife and his two sons and they leave Bethlehem and Judah and they go to Moab because of the famine. Who in Moab is marrying off their daughters to famine refugees? What does that say about the families? People that don't care very much, people that, probably. People that don't care very much, which could suggest, mm. so in Orpah's case, maybe her family was a little bit better, and so she had something to go back to. But in Ruth's case, she might not have even had a family to go back to. Mm-hmm. They might not. She may have married them against her family's wishes, and they aren't going to take her back. Her parents might be dead. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a, Ruth is, she's checking off a bunch of boxes. She's a Gentile. She's initially a pagan. She's now a widow, and she might as well be an orphan. So if she had a good family to go back to, I don't think she leaves with Naomi. Mm-hmm. So she's all of the marginalized categories in the Bible in one single person mm-hmm. and gradually loses all of those marginalizations because initially Boaz calls her his daughter. He's taking care of her the way a good father would. But That's then good. at the same time, she's converted away from paganism. She's become a believer in Yahweh. She's still a Moabite, which the text goes out of its way time and time again to remind you in case you forget, Ruth's a Moabite, Ruth's a Moabite. And it's because you're supposed to be thinking of that text back in Deuteronomy where Moabites are condemned and are forbidden from entering into the sanctuary and they're not able to participate in worship. And so that's why it keeps hinting that like, okay, well, Ruth's a worthy woman, but she's a Moabite, so what are we going to do about that? And we Mm -hmm. see that Boaz is our guide to show us that the spirit of the law trumps the letter of the law in a lot of cases, and Mm -hmm. him going above and beyond to show the kindness that he does to Ruth is instructive for us, and it's a way of actually dealing with the tension there um, Mm -hmm. of if they wanted to just be cruel, they could, and the law would sort of be on their side, but there's a sense mm-hmm. in which it wouldn't because you're supposed to look out for the sojourner, the marginalized, and the oppressed. That's really good. That was a lot, but mm-hmm. good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. I have, I have another question here at the end here. Um, well, let's talk about why it ends with this genealogy. I mean, it's not very long. Mm-hmm. When we're used to genealogies that are long, yeah. <laughs> but this is not long. This is verse 18. This is doable. Through 21, right? All of us would read a genealogy if it was this short. That's right. <laughs> okay, so in 17, in the, which is, this is just sweet. And the, woman, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, which is fascinating. But they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So 
what do we learn about this? What do we learn about then going in to verse 18 in the short genealogy? I feel like it's, it's one of those scenes at the end of a movie that makes you rethink everything you just read. So if, if you could imagine being the first reader of this story, okay, it makes sense that we would have this story in the Bible because it mentions this guy, Elimelech. He's from Bethlehem. He's from Judah. He seems like a great guy. But then he dies, and you're like, oh, well, the story is still going, and it's focusing <laughs> on the widow now. And then it's focusing on the widow and the daughter-in-law. And then this guy, Boaz, comes in, and you're like, okay, well, you know, I don't know that they had a genre of romantic comedy quite yet, but it feels like I think we read it through those lenses. Mm. But then you get this punchline that when they work all these things out, all of a sudden you find out, oh, they have a kid named Obed who has a kid named Jesse who has a kid named David who's the most significant king in Israel's history. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's like this story wouldn't be there if there wasn't the link to David. And we could take it even further and say this story wouldn't be here because of the events of this story. David's born in Bethlehem too. Mm-hmm. When Samuel shows up to anoint David to be king, he's probably showing up to this farm depicted in Ruth. Mm. That's Elimelech's land that Boaz gets and then is passed on to the descendants, mm-hmm. eventually being Jesse and David. Right. So this yeah. piece of property connects them to Bethlehem and then and ultimately leads to Jesus. Where is he born? Yeah. Being born in Bethlehem. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. I, I hadn't thought about it if in terms of the movie the, uh, example. I mean, it really would be mm-hmm. a, interesting. Imagine most people reading their Bible um, come to Ruth and just start reading. Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're probably not sure what genre it is even. I mean, they can kind of think like, oh, I guess this is telling us a story about history. Mm-hmm. But it would be like going to a movie that no one's prepared you for. You're not even sure. So the beginning, to your point, you're like, oh, this is a movie about a family on the run from a famine. Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, this is going to be a really sad movie because everybody's dying. Mm-hmm. And now there are these women left. Now we're following them. Mm-hmm. But then to end up, and then it's like zooming out. And, and, you, and you think to yourself, oh, okay. So this movie was about what I thought it was about, but it was actually about something way different at all at the same time. Yeah, something so much way more. Bigger. Yeah. 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 That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there anything else that we want to say about um, genealogies? Maybe just to note that they're, this one, like most other ones, are fairly compressed. I mean, if we think about, I think Perez is the first one in 18 through 22. Mm-hmm. That's a son of Judah by Tamar. That's right. Right. Um, and so that that gets us all the way back to Jacob's son, Judah, to emphasize that this is in the line of Judah. Um, but if we count the names there... We're, to get back to Perez, we would have to cover they're in Egypt for 400 years. And this is potentially a couple hundred years after that. So that's not mm-hmm. enough names to cover a span of six, 700 years. Yeah. Right. So this is the reason it may be worth noting is just to keep in mind that that's the way all the genealogies yeah, in the Bible good. work. But it also, I think a, a few podcasts ago, we talked on Joshua, maybe even in Matthew, where when we see this little snippet of a genealogy show up in Matthew, Rahab is mentioned mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it looks like Rahab is Boaz's mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rahab is right at the time of Joshua. Boaz has to be much later if he's going to be that close to David, who's about a thousand BC or so. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just mentioned in Matthew that 
Boaz may have been predisposed to care for Uh, a Gentile who professes faith in Yahweh and shows that she knows what she's talking about. She's not just giving lip service to this new God to get away with something because he has an ancestor who is kind of an archetype of that conversion in Canaan from paganism to Yahweh. Rahab's kind of the first convert in some sense. And so it's significant that she's an ancestor of Boaz, not necessarily his mom in Mm -hmm. a direct sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And how, like, like you briefly mentioned it, it, it draws in the whole uh, Gentile thing being brought into the line of Christ, mm-hmm. right? Not, not only through Rahab, but also now through Ruth in this book as well. And, and that that's really significant. And I thought of a, a significant way that that's even depicted. You mentioned the whole kinsman redeemer. Mm-hmm. We have the kinsman redeemer and then we have the Leverite laws. So we kind of have two things at once that Boaz is using to help Ruth and Naomi, but there's an interesting parallel. If we're going to say Boaz is the Christ figure, then that makes Ruth and Naomi kind of the church figure, which mm-hmm. is interesting that it's a Jew and a Gentile who are grafted together mm-hmm. by faith. Did you just think of that right now? Not just right now. I thought of that a bit ago. Okay. <laughs> like five minutes ago? <laughs> no, maybe longer. Maybe I, maybe I read it somewhere and forgot about it. I've so been stewing on uh, that one for a little while. Yeah, that's yeah. good. It's like, I feel like Wow, where did that come from? That was good. <laughs> yeah. Been looking for a way to weave it into this. Okay. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think the last thing that I would say is this conversation, reading Ruth this time, again, produced what, the thought that I'm about to share. But this conversation brings me to a point of wanting to verbalize it. And that is, right now, as we record this, we're in a sermon series on Genesis 1 through 11. And then here we are in community Bible reading, reading Ruth. And I'm continually struck by the fact that the, the Bible really is all about um, the rescue plan that culminates in Jesus Christ for mm. God to redeem all things, to redeem his plan, restore it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what the Bible's about, right? So, so Ruth isn't just an interesting story about a marginalized woman who finds community, although that's really here. Mm -hmm. Um, But lest you forget, it's connected to this thing that God is doing through Israel Mm -hmm. uh, to bring about Jesus to redeem all people. I I think that is very striking. Yeah, I've, I've, that's, from the first time that I learned really about uh, things like typology or, or biblical theology and seeing through lines in the Bible, that was the thing that blew my mind about the Old Testament was this, this really is one story. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when, when we, when we start in Genesis three and we, we trace uh, the line all the way. Um, and that's again, why genealogies are important. The, the author is trying to get us to follow the line mm-hmm. up to the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, right? So we're, we're following this all the way through the Old Testament until we get to Jesus and how things like the priesthood and the prophets and kings, you know, the threefold office of Christ, how all of those, um, they, they get established, but things fall short, and but it's complete, things fall short in the actual guys who fulfill the offices in the Old Testament, but it points you to this looking forward in Jesus, how he, he, he fulfills all three of those offices. Like that, there's so many themes you could trace throughout the entire Old Testament. And that's what just blows my mind about it. Yeah. It's one story. Yeah. 
It's, yeah. it's amazing. You know, and I think that it's a good exercise in what does it mean to read the Bible Christ-centeredly? In other mm. words, Jesus is not in Ruth. He's not. Mm. But we have to read Ruth in light of him yeah. now mm-hmm. that he has come and lived the life that he did, died, was raised, ascended. And so where we are in redemptive history, we have to read every single passage in light of him. Yes. Even though he's not here in Ruth. Yeah. He is pointing to him. And yeah. that would be another way to say exactly what you're saying. Right. We're, not, we're reading it in light of him. Um, and I, I, that has been so powerful to me because um, it was confusing at first, although I wanted to know what does it mean the Bible is all about Jesus. Like, yeah. Well, it doesn't really... I don't That's really too simple. <laughs> it is. It seems too simple. Yeah. yeah. But but I have found it helpful to say we we must read the whole Bible in light of Jesus mm. now that he has come. Yeah, and that's so good because because you know in our in our context and in uh the the way that we tend to read the Bible, right? We've said this before is is we like to hone in on the New Testament because we think the Old Testament is so irrelevant, but really they they light each other up. They illumine each other. And so it's really important to to your point to take our what we know about Jesus and how he's been revealed to us in the New Testament and then see it playing out in the Old Testament and see it in a book like Ruth. You I mean the typology is so obvious. You can't it's you can't help it. Yeah. You can't help but see Jesus in these stories. I'm reminded so. of something Tim Keller said in a sermon one time on seeing Jesus in the whole Bible. He referred to the movie The Sixth Sense with Bruce Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis spoiler alert is dead the whole time, which we know you guys are nodding. Nobody's freaking out. So you've seen That's it. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're well, good. <laughs> I remember, I still remember the first time I saw it. It's a really cool movie. But then when you find out that he's dead the whole time, you re-see, you can't not see that. Mm. And it, you reinterpret everything. The yeah. same events still happen, but you see him differently. But then when you go back to watch it again, you can never, ever see Bruce Willis's character the same. You can't see anything the same because now you, you see the whole movie in light of this thing that you've now discovered. And Keller, Tim Keller simply said, that's what, now that Jesus has come Hmm. reading the entire Bible in the old Testament is like that. Now you can't unsee it. Yeah. I think, I think another parallel would be in, I'll, uh, we could spoil it. It's it's been, it's been long enough, but the the movie, the prestige, when you find out at the end, one of the the main characters has a twin and they show you all these scenes again, but it's not that they show you the scenes again. It's that they expand on, this was something you didn't see in this Mm, scene. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you actually go back and rewatch it, it's really hard to spot. Like it's, it's there, but you wouldn't necessarily know it unless someone told you. Whereas like in the sixth sense, it's like, once you watch it again, you're like, oh, obviously he's dead. How did I not see that the first time? Whereas this is more, it's in some places. So I think some parts of the old Testament, it's like the sixth sense. You're like, oh, that's obviously a Christ figure. Like that's, it's just right on the nose. Mm -hmm. In other places, it's really more like the prestige where it's Mm -hmm. like, you you really have to look and you kind of have to pay really close attention and then it kind of unlocks itself to you. Like like a good magic trick. Like if you look close enough, you can see, oh, that was how the illusion happened. Yeah. Um, And that's an intentional double entendre in in Mm -hmm. reading the Bible of, I, I mean, I caught it. Okay. Nice. I'm just making sure for, yeah. for the listeners yeah. that yeah. they... Yeah. Yeah. Another movie. I mean, it's in the afternoon, but I'm not that slow. <laughs> yeah. We ain't dead. Yeah. Right? That's right. <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, well, I, I, I really enjoyed this. I, mm. I, my my uh, hunch is that as people 
who have participated in community Bible reading and listen to this, I think they were encouraged. I was encouraged. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I hope that as people listen, they would in, they would feel invited to, to read with us in community Bible reading, to read the Bible together in community. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having and, us. And until next time. Yeah.